Let's have a further word of prayer before we start. Loving Father, we bless you this morning and we we are grateful, Lord, for the way you've led us this morning. We, we thank you, Lord, that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit, Lord, to be able to pour our hearts at your feet and uh, exalt, exalt your name, Lord, with uh, thankfulness and gratefulness in our hearts. We now commit this time unto your holy hand, O Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for our teacher, the Holy Spirit. And we pray that, Lord, the Holy Spirit will take off what is of Christ and teach us this morning. Deliver us, Lord, from the spirit of error. And, Lord, we pray that your word will equip us and will edify the body unto the Lord's glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, today we continue our series on the book of Revelation. As you can see, on some visual aids there. Today, the subtopic is the missing dimension. Or, I have this against you. The missing dimension, part one. It will be a series. I don't know how many um, sessions this will take. But it seems that whenever we approach the book of Revelation with each event, it looks like you need an introduction for each event. Now, rather than just starting with all the churches, we need another overview. We need another introduction before we can go and study the churches, the message to each church individually. So, today will be an overview of the seven churches. In our main reading, we've been Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 20. So, we read Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 20. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, or candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Verse 14. His head and hair were like were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, 
as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of the Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Amen. This is a general introduction to the study of the seven churches, to the study of the messages to each one of those churches. In this introduction, we look at whether these were real churches and how relevant is the messages for the church today. In verse 9, John introduces himself as both a brother and a companion. This is a brother and a companion to all of us, to all the believers. But a brother and a companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience, that is perseverance. Of Jesus Christ. This statement resonates, as far as I can see it, with Paul's exhortation in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Whenever new believers came to faith, they were exhorted that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. So they were prepared from the outset that this wasn't uh, a walk in the park or a fanfare or a feel-good undertaking. No. They knew what to expect. So the identification of the Apostle John here with us is in tribulation. In the kingdom of God, and in patience, long-suffering, perseverance of Jesus Christ. That's the identification. Verse 14. His head and hair were like wool as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame 
of fire. This speaks of the Lord's perfect knowledge. Remember what the Bible says in Hebrews 4? Nothing is hidden from him. Everything is uncovered before God. Nothing is hidden. This speaks of the Lord's perfect knowledge. The infallible insight, inescapable scrutiny. Christ has all the power, control, and authority to judge his church. In fact, judgment begins at the house of God. Now, that first Peter 4, 17. Now, churches are judged for its purification. That's why churches are judged by God or chastised. For its purification and for rewards. But the world will be judged for punishment because of rebellion. We are being judged now and chastised by God so that we will not come to the final judgment. Whether individuals or in the body of Christ. In verse 20, Seven lampstands are the seven churches. I was thinking about this and uh, I say I would define myself as a localist. As a localist because I believe that each local church has its specific purpose. Each local church has its specific mission. Yes, we know the Great Commission. Commission is for everybody. We know that. But in the execution of that Great Commission, God is a God of order. He's given to every one of us a measure of grace. But he's given a specific vision to every church. For instance... You have in this country some churches which are very small in numbers. For instance, I'm referring to the Bridge Lane Christian Fellowship many, 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 30 years ago. The church was called the Church of the 90s because there was only seven people left, six actually and we're dying one after another. All of them 90, over 90. They pray, the Lord God. They pray that that place will see revival. We were privileged to see the pictures of the Sunday school in their 30s and what happened after that. And then we entered their labors, what they had done. And we reminded the believers every day that the reason we were standing there, what I'm saying about Bridge Lane is also valid here. 
Because this church started in the 30s by faithful people. So we are nothing. We are only entering the labors of people who have been here before us. Therefore, we need to be careful in the way we build. Because one day, future generation will refer to the imprint, the things we're leaving behind, the reports we write, the minutes, the way we organize itself. We've seen from the typewriters what they wrote. And that has helped us to review the governing document. They wrote in 1939, typewriter. How faithful those people were. They counted the chairs. They counted the assets at that time. When you see that, you say, these people, what led them? What motivated them to see that? What legacy are we going to leave? What would future generations say about us? Let's be careful in the way we're entering other people's work. We did not start this work. But those ladies in that church that was called the Church of the 90s, they've all gone with a privilege to see the youngest of them. We're privileged to see her, but she departed. And today, people are coming from all over the place in that church, as is the case here as well. You see, sometimes you have small churches in number, but the only mission God has given them is to produce missionaries or to finance or to fund mission. Other churches, the Lord has raised evangelists, genuine evangelists from that, to do the work and to strengthen churches, etc., etc., but the tragedy is this. We've ended up with a, a copy and pasting. Because this model has worked there. Everybody. Let's just do that. It works there. Like in management. Blueprint. That's not good. We have to seek the Lord God for the Lord to reveal what he wants for this congregation. And I say on Tuesday at a prayer meeting, it's time to keep quiet before God. It's time to remain silent. Seek God's direction. It's not time to rush. It's not time to implement things now. It's time just to keep quiet and see the Lord revealing the direction he wants to give to the church. Okay. Now, 
when it comes to this uh, to these seven churches well first of all brother Ola can I see the next slide please yes that one you see that slide shows you the location of those ancient cities some of them have changed names today some of them have changed names. Some of them are just small towns, etc. But most of them are located in the modern Turkey. But there is a little bit of uncertainty on the uh, Laodicea. If you see the, the location there, you know, there have been some dispute whether it's uh, the border with Syria, etc. But Mainly, this church were located there. But most of them have changed names. Most of them have changed names, apart from Ephesus and um, I think Pegamos, Pegamum. But that's what it is. The reason I'm showing that is to say these churches were real places. It's not allegorical. No? When we come to other sessions and we begin to see uh, individual churches, we, we will see by God's grace some illustration, ruins, etc. So the seven letters were written to churches which actually existed in what is known as the modern Turkey. When it comes to understanding the message to these churches, There are mainly two differing views. But it's not as sharp as the pre post meet now. Because sometimes there is some uh, convergence, sometimes, in the understanding of these churches. Let's see the next, the next slide, please. The first school is called Futurist Interpretation. According to this view, the seven letters were written to actual churches, but also have an application to believers of every age. According to this view, these churches provide a panoramic view of church history. From first century to return of Christ, church periods represented are usually identified as Ephesus, the apostolic church, as described in the book of Acts. Smyrna, the church of the age of early persecution. Pergamos, the priestly, hierarchical, the introduction of Catholicism. Thyatira, the church of dark ages. Sardis, the church of the reformation. Philadelphia, missionary and true church in every age. Laodicea, the lukewarm, materialistic church of the end time. You see, this is one view. 
that think that those churches, yes, they were actual churches, but at the same time, there is a panoramic view of the church history in every age. The next slide, please. That's the next view. Historicist interpretation. According to this view, the letters were written to historical churches, but the message is also applicable today. The historical churches represent the prevailing problems throughout the church history until Christ returns. So they focus on the message itself, the complaint from the Lord, the rebuking, and they say when you put all those together, those lists, they represent the problem the Lord is, not, is displeased with in every age until Christ returns. So according to this view, studying the characteristics of each of the seven churches helps the church to hear what the Spirit says to the church today. Now, when you compare the two, well, that's my conclusion at least, I don't really see a big problem. I can't be edified through both views. It's not as sharp as that. We can gain from both views. Next slide. After that one? Yes. The seven churches, the meaning of the names. Each church's name proves to be significant to its unique message and spiritual condition. Uh, not quite sure about uh, Thyatira, you know, because the meaning of the name seems to be very meaningful, but compared to the condition, well, let's see when we come to that next time, God willing, what it is. You know, perfume of good, aroma, sweet aroma, and, and, uh, and it's a very problematic church. Let me tell you something, which I'm sure some of you may know. How do you remember these churches in order? E-S-P-T-S-P-L. That's why I've highlighted them for you there. So that you can always say them in order. E-S-P-T-S-P-L. So I may not say seven churches, I would just say ESPTSPL, and you can say them in order. Well, there can be a bit of confusion between Smena and Sardis because it's S, but you know that Sardis is the other bit, is the SPL. Yeah? I hope that will help you. <laughs> so, ESPTSPL, Ephesus, Smena, Pegamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, meaning Ephesus means the desire one. The lovely. 
Smena means myrrh, sweet fragrance. Pegamos, mixed marriage. But it's, a, it's, a, it's like an arranged marriage, you know, a made-up marriage. You know, because someone wants to be rich and go to marry someone who is rich and will uh, fabricate, you know, an artificial, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> romance. <laughs> and, um, you know, you want to be powerful and we go to marry someone who is powerful. That's the idea. It's elevation through marriage in order to achieve something. Mixed marriage. The church wants to be powerful. And will enter into mixture with the states in order to persecute anyone who is not part of that arrangement. Tatara means sacrifice, perfume of labor. Sardis means remnants. More accurately, those who are escaping. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Laodicea, the ruling of people, the ruling of people who see themselves as just people. The ruling of laicity, the ruling of people who see themselves as righteous. Next slide. The seven churches and spiritual condition. Now, you hear a lot about uh, Ephesus being the loveless church. That's not quite accurate. Because, yes, they had fallen. That's what it means. You've fallen from your first level of love. You've gone down. Go back to the level of love and practice what you used to do before. Go back. It's not that the love is completely gone. You know, the Holy Spirit, it's so interesting because it is to this church that not only they had fallen from the form height of love, but that's translate even in the relationship between husband and wife. Do you remember Ephesians chapter 5? Husband love your wife as Christ has loved the church and has given me. So there was a problem in that church. So you see, when we fall in our love for God, it affects everything. Relationship between spouses and the children and the society and everything else. Smena, the persecuted church. There's no blame to this church. No blame. But there is still an encouragement to them. So is the case for Philadelphia. But in Philadelphia, some people think that uh, Philadelphia was being blamed because uh, uh, they see themselves as uh, having a little strength. You know, some people saw that as a lack of faith. You know, that's not how I see things. I think uh, 
I will put on that the declaration from Paul, the confession from Paul. My grace is sufficient to you. My strength is perfected in your weaknesses. So that's how I will see this. I won't see this as a blame for them. Because they saw the weakness, but the Lord commanded and was pleased with them. That's a good place to be. Pergamos, the compromising church. What was the problem? Tolerance of false doctrine. Pergamos, they tolerated false doctrine. And God was displeased with that. They tolerated idolatry. The two go hand in hand. Doctrinal error, idolatry, all those things go hand in hand. And on top of that, immorality. The Lord was displeased with that. Tyra, the corrupt church. They tolerated a woman called Jezebel. And idolatry and immorality. More about Jezebel as the Lord lead us next time. Not next time, in order. Philadelphia, there was no blame, no complaint. Sardis, dead work. Dead work. That's a big problem. That's not a good thing. To do things for the Lord, thinking one is doing the right thing. And to come to the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema judgment seat of Christ, and see everything being burned up. Tragedy. Better to be rebuked now and corrected now. I've said in the past that there is a difference between ministry, activity, and activism. Activism is doing something. Let's do something. Let, 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 let's be seen as doing something. All over the place. Dead work. I'm glad the Lord rebuked this church in order for them to change, to seek the Lord and to do things according to the Lord. There is always a danger of, uh, you know, everyone doing a little something, everyone doing, in order to be seen as doing something. That is not God. It may have an appearance of being godly, but it's not necessarily. And then Laodicea, the lukewarm church. See, I've told you so many times that English is a very good language. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. What's, what's the relationship between Luke and warm? I don't know. Luke is warm? I don't know. In French, we just have tiède. Lukewarm. Spiritually poor, yet puffed up. We are rich materialistic church. But as far as Yahweh was looking at them, they were poor, wretched, naked, and blind. Oh, ironic. Blind? Well, that was the place where they were producing I serve. 
that's where it started. The industry was so prosperous there. Everybody went there to have their eye care. The Lord said, blind, blind people. Come to me and I will wash your eyes so that you can see. I will clothe you in order to hide your nakedness. They were so prosperous. What is next? Yes, next. The seven churches missing dimension, which we've already mentioned pretty much. Ephesus left your first love. Sorry for the typo there. Left you. No. He's left your first love. Smena, blameless church, but encourage. Pergamos is the problem. Pagan doctrines. Baal, Nicolaitans. More of this next time, as the Lord leads. Thyatira, Jezebel, sexual immorality. Idolatry. But this sexual immorality here is not just a, a, a passing fornication. No, it's a doctrine. Teaching my servant to commit immorality. That, that's a doctrine. The Lord said, if you don't repent, I will kill your children. They're not necessarily physical children. They are the people who are perpetuating that doctrine. It doesn't matter. God is love. You know, don't be so harsh. You know, God is understanding. You know, it's okay. You know, David did, you know. Peter was punished, rebuked. Why? Because they tolerate. But sometimes we think we are better than God himself. If God is displeased by something, we need to be displeased with it as well. You know, there would always be people say, oh no, you know, that's too harsh, not be reasonable, that's too dogmatic. When God is saying, no, let me give you an example. Clearly, and it can't be clearer, God hates divorce. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. God hates divorce. Just look yourself around what's happening. Pastors, believers, just look around what's happening. Yes, we love God, we love, but God hates divorce. Sadis. I call that a living dead. Because they think they are alive, but as far as God is concerned, they are dead. It's a dead church. But can do so many things, you know, activities, and to be seen as doing something in a vibrant church, etc. As far as God is concerned, is a dead church. Philadelphia, blameless church, encourage. Laodicea, illusion and self-satisfaction, materialistic church. When you look at the book of Revelation, next slide, brother. When you look at the book of Revelation, you are very amazed by the occurrence, the number of times you come across the number seven. In the Bible, some numbers can have significant symbolism. For example, 
Number seven indicate fullness, completeness, or perfection. This number appears from this Bible 49 times. Interesting to know that 49 is still 7 times 7 in the book of Revelation. Now, the Lord is directly orchestrating each one of the events described and he will have the final say. You call it count down. No turning back. No one is going to resist. The will of God is going to be fulfilled. Remember I told you about uh, Revelation chapter 10 verse 7 when the angel was about to sound the seventh trumpet. The Bible says the mystery of God will be fulfilled which he has spoken to the prophets. That is when he sound that trumpet, all the governments, all the authority, all the power are unto the Lord Jesus' hands. No turning back. People can now see who Jesus is. The mystery is now fulfilled. Seven lampstands, seven churches, seven stars, seven servants, seven angels, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of judgment. Seven, 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 seven. That the Almighty God, you know, perfect salvation and perfect judgments too. Next slide, dear brother. Now, there is a bit of a word play here. It's done on purpose in order to draw our attention on what is going on. Not a contradiction. God so loves the world and his church that he hates some things. Mm. Love and righteousness. You see, people just choose to talk about love. Some people even go as far as saying love is God. Any love is God. Nobody wants to pay attention to the Lord's righteousness, to the Lord's justice, to the Lord's holiness. His love comes with requirement for his holiness. Yes, the Lord is loved. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Can you see that? He loves the church, but he's working very hard in his church in order to cleanse and purify his church. Because he's coming to take a church, a spotless and church without wrinkles. How is he doing that? Through his word. And by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. His word are life and spirit. We can't talk about God's love without the requirement for holiness 
and his righteousness. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting But yeah, We can't deny that. It's in the Bible. God is love. Love is all over the place. God is loving. It's not a contradiction to say, as well as being loving, there are things God hates. Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. You hate the deed of the Nicolaitan, which I also hate. Revelation 2.15 You have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19 These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hand that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. God hates these things. God is love, but they are things he hates. And if we want to grow in his likeness, we have to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is forgiving, gracious, and merciful. However, some of the things he sees in the church or even in lives can be an abomination in his sight. Slides. In conclusion, that was fast, that was good. The Lord judges and rebuke his church because he wants the church to learn and to grow in his righteousness. He has fulfilled the requirements of righteousness before God the Father. In fact, he is God's righteousness to us and our righteousness before God. He's fulfilled. It's up to us to let him work his purpose through our lives to the glory of the Father. He wants his people to separate from paganism and worldliness, but to live in newness of life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Former things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. The Lord wants to present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The Lord is not delighted in a, a defeated church, 
defeated by unrighteousness, defeated by sin. No. The Lord wants a glorious, a victorious church because victory is in Jesus. Based on his blood. Now questions. Listen carefully and take this home. What would be, what would have been the tone of the Lord's message to us if Court Farm Evangelical Church was also included in the mailing list? Think about that. Write to the angel of Court Farm Evangelical Church. Think about that. What do you think the Lord would command us for as a church? You don't need to answer. What do you think he would hold against us as a church? What would have been our missing dimension and the remedy for that? Because you see, with each missing dimension for each of these seven churches, there is a way out. There is a recommended action to take. Either repent, either go back and practice your first work, or return to your first lover. There is an action. If the Lord has written to us a letter, think about that. <laughs> now, what would the Lord say to us? I will leave that with each one of us to think about that. But all I'm saying is this. Time is running out. Christ is coming back. That's the purpose for, for which he gave this letter to show the things that must take place shortly for us to be prepared. It's a revelation to his servant, to you and I. The world is seeing, you know, everything's going to be perfect, you know, you know, through yoga and meditation, there's going to be harmonization of energy, you know, in the trees, in belief, in the human, and then everything will be general equilibrium. And then everything will be okay. You don't seem to see the beginning of that. Things seem to be chaotic. Now, today's chaos is more serious than yesterday's. When is that time of Inner peace will come where we are harmonized with stars and everything. When is that going to come? Time is running out. Christ is coming. As a body, as a church, let us hear what the Spirit says to the church. God willing more about that. Now, I feel a bit more comfortable.
to start a study on every church and make application. The missing dimension. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, we bless you. And we say thank you, Lord, for the sharing of the word of God. For the equipping of the saints. And for a godly edification of your body. Unto the Lord's glory. As we await from heaven. The blessed appearing. Of our God. And Savior. Jesus Christ. We commit this congregation. Unto your hands. You the one who. Stand in the midst of the seven lampstands. That is your church. We pray that, Lord, you will have preeminence. That we will be the people who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, but not a man. We exalt your name here and we pray that, Lord, you expound these things and you multiply this thing and you open our understanding, Lord, that we may walk in these things. We heard this morning, if we say we have not sinned, why are we deceiving ourselves? But we coming to you, Lord, that you open our eyes to see things the way you see them. Fill us with your Holy Spirit of the promise and lead us, Lord, according to your will and purpose. Bless each member of this congregation. Watch over us, Lord, and preserve each family represented here. We commit our future unto your holy hands because you are the good, great, chief, divine, perfect shepherd of the sheepfolds. We give you all the glory and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.